Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you uh, with us this morning. I'm going to ask that you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of First Corinthians, uh, chapter 15. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 28 as our teaching text this morning. And if uh, you don't have your Bible and you're going to use the Pew Bible, you can find that on page 1116. Well, if you're a guest with us this morning, it probably should bring you up to speed at where we're at. Um, This whole summer, we've been looking at the book of 1 Corinthians, and we've been taking it chapter by chapter and passage by passage, section by section, to kind of see what uh, God has been saying to us through this book of 1 Corinthians. And I think in the worship folder today, it said we're on uh, number 20 on that, and so um, we're, that's where we're at, and that's where we're going. And, and if you've been with us all along the journey, thanks for hanging in there. I know it's been a little bit of a, uh, again, First Corinthians, yes, again, one more time. And um, so thanks for hanging in there. Um, I hope that, that as we've walked through this, I hope that it's not been grueling and it's not been uh, overwhelming, but I hope that you are seeing parallels between what is happening in the Corinthian church, in their culture and in their day, and the issues that, that Paul is addressing. I hope you see the parallel between what is happening there and what is happening in our culture today where we live 2,000 years later. It's really amazing to sit and to watch and to read through in context what is happening in that church And all of the struggles and all of the strife and all the challenges that they face really are, 2,000 years later, some of the very same struggles and challenges and and things that, that we come against today. So it's timeless truth. And it's thing there, it's, it's writings that, that today affect our lives, affect our faith, and affect our church life together. You know, one of the overarching themes in all of this, this in 1 Corinthians is the unity of the church. Paul's major concern is that this church stay united and stay unified under the banner of Christ. Each individual comes with different gifts and talents and abilities and backgrounds and understandings. And that's all good and that's great. And we want, we want the diversity in God's body, but we don't want disunity. And so uh, Paul is weeding out the problems that some of all of that mixed um, uh, mixed uh, groupings of people can bring to one local body. So that's kind of where we've been at in 1 Corinthians uh, this summer. And today's topic is, is really no different. Last week, Pastor Rick introduced uh, this turn in the layout of 1 Corinthians, Paul kind of turns the uh, the corner, if you will, and is coming down the home stretch as we kind of wind up this book. And as he turns the corner, he introduces this idea of the bodily resurrection of Christ. And last week, Pastor Rick did a, a great job at, at laying the foundation of that doctrine and using Paul's own words early in chapter 15, showing us how the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Christ, is the foundation of what we believe. It is the very essence, it is necessary to have the the resurrection of Christ to be the very foundation of what we believe. This is what our faith in Christ is grounded on. This is the foundation. That three days after dying on the cross, Christ was resurrected from the grave. This is the gospel. It rests 
on that. And that's what we looked at last week. Today, as we, we dig deeper into chapter 15, Paul continues to address this, this concern of disunity in this church as he turns the focus not on the foundation of the belief of that doctrine, but the implications of if that's not true. It seems as though in this church in Corinth, some people, not everyone in the church, but some people, people who are of influence, some influential people in the church of Corinth were holding to the idea or discrediting the idea of the uh, of any kind of resurrection of any kind of body. There is no bodily physical resurrection of anyone. That was their belief. A few people who have, who are of influence in this church were spreading that and, and infiltrating the church with this belief. It's perhaps because of their background. Remember, these are uh, a lot of the people in the church of Corinth came from pagan worship practices. And it, uh, perhaps these people are, are envisioning uh, uh, zombie-like creatures walking around in a cryptic setting of these risen, uh, resurrected bodies, kind of like the video Thriller, if you ever saw that. Um, a couple people saw it. Um, I don't think anybody in the first service saw it. But... It's this kind of idea that, you know, in their mind, this is what they're thinking, that that this is what the resurrected bodies look like and how life is going to work out. So that can't be true. That's not true. That's not accurate. We throw the whole thing out. The problem is, and when they throw that out, they also throw out the resurrection of Christ. If there's no resurrection at all, then there's no resurrection of Christ. So they begin to dismiss this entire idea of Christ's bodily resurrection. And they give way to alternating ideas where they dismiss it altogether. The problem is, this attacks the very foundation of the Christian faith. It begins to, to uh, chip away at the very foundation that Paul has, has uh, that, that Christ has laid out, that God has laid out, for the salvation for humanity. It chips away at that foundation. And it fuels Paul's defense in this passage. What's interesting to me is that 2,000 years later, we face the same struggle. We face the same challenges. People today are still denying the bodily resurrection of Christ. People today resist and deny that Christ, after three days in the grave, rose again. And that's why it was so important that, that I asked the, the, the pastors this morning to please read those extensive passages. Thanks for hanging in there with them. I know they were a bit longer than we normally do on a Sunday morning. But I wanted to, before we even get to the teaching text, I wanted us to understand in the context of the Gospels themselves, this idea of God's plan of salvation for man. That Christ would uh, die and, and be buried for three days and come back in a resurrected state. And I also wanted us to see how the world and the culture responded to that. That even in the Scriptures, even in the Scriptures, the people, the leaders, the government officials of that day, in that time said, well, we can't have this, so let's make up a story. If this resurrection story is true, we're in trouble. So let's make up a story. Did you catch that in those readings? So they got together and they devised a plan and they paid off the guards. 
And they said, whatever happens, you stick to this story. We'll cover your back. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your job. We'll cover you, but stick to this story. And did you catch at the end what it said? This story to this day is still circulated. And I believe that to be true here. In our country, in our culture, in our area, that, that story is still true today. There is no resurrection. The disciples came and stole the body. Twelve guys who were scared to death the day Christ died and scattered. They all got together, came back, overpowered the guards who were, who were armed and, and rolled away the stone and stole the body of Christ. It's ridiculous. But it's what's being said today. And today I don't want to go into an apologetic defense of the empty tomb other than to say we still face those issues. We still, today, in our culture, where we live, how we live our faith, in, in, in our society, we are still dealing with that similar, very same issue. We're still having coffee with friends. We still take friends out and sit across the table and we say, look, look at the Scriptures, look what they say. They're, they're, if you look at the Scriptures, they talk about the, the, the burial clothes were empty. There was nobody in the burial clothes. The cloths were empty. It points to the bodily resurrection of Christ. And we're still gathering outside biblical sources. We still do it today. Medical and historical evidence to show, one, that Christ really did die. Some people just think that Christ, He didn't really die. He was just, he was just wounded to the point where He was unconscious. And after being buried in the tomb, wrapped in all the, the burial cloths and the spices and the linens, he, he, he woke up and rolled the stone away himself and escaped. You know, after he was beaten and scourged and pierced in his side. He somehow did this. Um, the Journal of American Medical Association wrote an article uh, in March of 1986, and medical doctors attested to the fact by, by the, the evidence, both biblical and secular evidence of that time, Christ died. He was actually dead when they put him in the tomb. There's no debate. But we still have to gather the evidence today to defend our belief. And if we look at other biblical writings, such as, such as uh, secular writings, such as Josephus, uh, 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 a contemporary of that day, writer of that day, he, he, he uh, was giving a history account of what was going on in that culture and that land, and he talks about Christ. An extra-biblical source talks about Christ and says the tomb was empty and that he appeared to 500 people. But we still have to gather the evidence to defend what we believe today. We're still pointing people back to the Scriptures We still help them understand the scriptural support that the tomb is empty, that there were eyewitness accounts, and that the Gospels work in harmony together to refute any current, any contemporary opinion of writers and philosophers and secular spiritualists today. We have people like Eckhart Tolle and Deepak Chora showing up on the Oprah Winfrey show, showing and saying that all of these things are myths and, and they don't really exist. There is no resurrection. There is no Christ. There is no what we understand the gospel to be. And it's just not true. And we have to defend this. And we have to stand against this. And if we don't understand this, we're at a disadvantage. Because as you understand 
media in today's culture is gospel. Not truth. Not what is real. Not what is actual. But whatever the media says. That's what we believe. That is gospel truth. And so our talk show hosts and our syndicated television programs around the country hold us captive. And I'm telling you this morning that we face the same issue that Paul faced with the Corinthians 2,000 years ago. We have to defend what we believe. We believe the tomb was empty, and it still is empty today. We have to defend that. And so we keep defending our faith. We keep defending our belief. We look at Luke. We look at John when the different passages there. We look at 1 Corinthians and we walk through the entire gospel narratives and into the epistles that Paul writes and shows that the validity of the empty tomb exists. We keep defending our belief in the physical resurrection of Christ. And I'm sure that as we do this, there are people that are out there And I'm sure maybe somebody here today says, what does it really matter? Why do we even need to talk about that? Do we really need to get into that whole idea of the resurrection? I mean, Jesus is okay and he died on the cross. I got it. But but do we really need to get into the messy, you know, is the body there? Does it really matter? Can't we just peacefully exist and let that go? And I'm sure there are many in our culture that say that, and many of our friends that, that, may do, that may say that. Does it really matter? And I would say to them, yeah, it does really matter. It mattered to God as He set the redemption plan in motion. It mattered to Paul as he defended that position. And it better matter to us today because we face the same, if not more intense, scrutiny in our lives, in our culture today. The challenges aren't going away. People are not going to stop trying to chip away at the foundation of the Christian belief. It's not going to stop. And so I believe we better understand what we believe so that we can defend it, so that we can stand up. Somebody in this culture, in this area, in our lives needs to stand up and say, it's true. And here's why it's true. This is what we believe. So Paul writes to the Corinthians, not so much an apologetic and official apologetic defense of the resurrection idea or the empty tomb, but he writes it, I think, more as an every man's treatise. And every man's treatise on the importance of the physical resurrection, he kind of goes man to man with them. He just kind of sits down with them at, at Starbucks and buys them a cup of coffee and says, look, this is what it means. This is how it works out. Here's my Somerset reference for today, okay? I have a friend in Somerset. He would say this. He put the hay where the cows could feed. If you grew up in the rural area, you get that. If you grew up in the city, I don't know how to tell you what that means. Paul's putting it right out there for him. He's presenting it on the platter and he says, here, listen to this. It's right in front of you. And he says this, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, which is what we were preaching, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Consequence. 
If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. We lie. We testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, consequence, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, they're lost too. If only for this life we have faith in Christ, if it's only for today, with no hope for eternity, if it's only today that we have faith in Christ, then we are to be pitied more than all men. Paul's quite dire about the ramifications of discrediting the resurrection. And Paul's implications given to the Corinthians are just as true for us today. When we remove the doctrine of the physical resurrection of Christ, we paint a bleak picture of life. In fact, without the resurrection, I think it's fair to say that nothing really matters at all. Without the resurrection of Christ, nothing in life really matters at all. There's no hope. Because there's no eternity. There's nothing to look forward to. And so yes, it really does matter. On one hand, our faith and our faith claims are useless. If the resurrection never happened, everything we proclaim about faith and the faith claims, it's useless. Paul says this, our preaching, it's useless. Without the resurrection, there is no good news. If Christ did not rise from the dead, there's no gospel to preach. He was born, He died on a cross, and He's dead. That's it. There's absolutely nothing to hope in. Our preaching is useless. Because the One who secured eternity for us is still dead. It doesn't matter. Life is reduced to we live and we die. That's it. We just live and die. And so we can, we can agree with Paul as he writes later that if that's your view, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. There's absolutely no hope without the resurrection of Christ. Without the resurrection of Christ, we are liars about God. We lie about what God can actually do because God didn't do it. We said that, that God in His power, that it is, it is God and His power that raised Christ from the dead. Acts chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians 15 point to this. We say that it is God and His power. But if there's no resurrection from the dead, and if Christ did not rise from the dead, then we are lying about God. We've lied about what He can do. We've lied about what He said. We've lied about what He said He would do. And so, it's a very slippery slope then, because it's easy to say, well, if we lied about the resurrection, and, and God really didn't raise Him because He didn't have the power to raise Him, then then 
maybe God didn't really forgive sins through Christ, and maybe God didn't really bring Christ, and maybe God doesn't really exist at all. Because we've made, we've communicated lies about Him. So where's the truth? If there's no resurrection, where's the truth? Without the resurrection, we're liars, the gospel writers are liars, and Jesus is a liar. And if Jesus is a liar, that just opens the whole can. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. If there's no resurrection, our faith is useless and futile. We are still in our sins, verse 17. Still in our sins. There's no reason for faith because it's empty. There's nothing to believe in. I've not been forgiven of my sin. And so I still carry spiritually, I still carry the mark of guilt, of the guilt of sin. And spiritually, I am still distant from God. Uh, Spiritually, God is still at an arm's length away, keeping me at a distance. I am still in my sins. If there's no resurrection, I cannot be united to God. I cannot be in a relationship with God. I cannot turn to God. I am still at a distance from Him. My faith is futile. There's nothing to believe in. I am still in my sins. And I think there's a physical side to that as well. I think that if there's no resurrection and we still carry the mark and the guilt of sin, not only spiritually are we distant from God, but I think physically we feel that as we carry the weight of guilt and sin around in our bodies. The guilt, the conviction that is upon us because of our sin, because of walking away from God, is still heavy upon us because there is no hope, because there is no resurrection. And so we continue to live weighed down in our life physically and we feel that. Life is pretty hopeless. Because we're dead. We are literally walking dead in our sins with all of the guilt on our shoulders and with no hope. But it's interesting that in Romans chapter 4, Paul writes these words, verse 25, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. He was raised to life so that we would be reunited and turned back and justified back to God. In chapter 5, verse 10, it says, For if... When we were God's enemies, when we were at a distance from Him, we were reconciled to Him through His death, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? His death pays for our sin and death penalty. His life gives us new life, life eternal. But only if there's a resurrection. Because if there's not, it's hopeless. If there's no resurrection, then our loved ones who have died before us, the ones that we believe who have died in faith and we gather at their funerals and and we, we weep because they're gone physically, but we have hope because we will see them in eternity, well, just keep weeping because it's lost. They're lost. It's It's pointless. 
There's no hope. And if that's our position, if our faith is futile, if we're still in our sins, if there's no power from God, if there's nothing beyond death, then our lives are hopeless. And we agree with Paul as he writes in verse 19, we are to be pitied. There's no point to life. Remember in context, Paul is speaking in hypothetical terms that if this is true, if it is true that there's no resurrection, then we who are in Christ should feel empty and hopeless and pitied if that is true. And as I thought about that this week, I thought about the fact that there are, there are thousands and millions of people walking around in our community and around this world who do not embrace Christ and do not embrace the belief of a resurrection because by their own volition they reject Christ. And all of that hopelessness and all of that pity and all of that, that burden that we've talked about, they experience every day. They live it. Because either directly or indirectly, they're rejecting the gospel and the resurrection of Christ. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live hopelessly. And so here's what I wonder. If there's no hope for eternity, is there any hope for today? If there's no hope for eternity, if, if after we die there's nothing else, because there's no resurrection of the, of the body, therefore Christ didn't rise, therefore none of what Christ did even mattered, if there's no hope for eternity, is there really hope for today? If we can't trust in the power of God or the life of Christ for eternity, where do we turn for, for hope and power and strength today? Where do we turn for strength? Where do we go to get from today to tomorrow? Do we trust in our own strength? Do we trust in our own power? Well, I think that's some, some of the reason that we're in the mess we're in. Because we've trusted in our own strength. We've trusted in our own power. I'm going to fix my marriage. I'm going to fix my children. I'm going to fix my home. I'm going to change things at work. I'm going to change our financial picture. I can do it. Look at all I've accumulated already in my life. Look what I've done. But yet it's broken. And it's empty. And I think if we'd really look ourselves in the mirror, in an honest and true moment, we would understand and we would say, in my strength and in my power alone, I can't do it. But if there's no hope for eternity, then there's no hope for today. Life is just hopeless. And we are left to be pitied. Marriages that are on the brink of failure, we're trying to work through struggles, forget it. It's hopeless. There's nothing, there's no power, there's no power uh, greater than yourselves to fix your marriage. 
And probably you're in the situation that you're in because of you've tried the power of yourself. Homes that have been broken and that are trying to be prepared, there's no answer. If there's no eternity, there's no answer for today. Children that have, that have wandered in their lives and experimenting um, in different um, things and, and different practices in life, they're just going to stay lost. Because there's nothing to come back to. Our addictions, those things that, the, that we are addicted to that we deeply want to break free of, those things that continue to, to, to chain us down and to trip us up in life that we just want rid of, forget it. I mean, you might be able to slap on a patch in 30 days, you're okay, but day 31 comes and you're kind of back to the same deal. Because there's no hope. There's no power. Our relationships that, that we're in and, and we need to know, we need to break. And we know that we need to break those relationships. We know we need to walk away. We won't. Because there's no hope. There's no hope for healing. Our physical bodies that, that we, we walk around in and, and there's, there's no hope for healing if there's no hope for eternity. And so Dr. Um, uh, Kansas, shut it down. Just, just don't even keep going because all we're doing is prolonging the inevitable, right? I mean, if there's no hope for eternity, we're just living for today. We're just living for this moment. Dealing with the death that surrounds us, it's pointless. There is no hope. Looking for wisdom for the future, there's no wisdom There's nothing to look forward to. I mean, write down some options, roll some dice and see what happens and pick that. Because that's what we've reduced life to if there's no hope for eternity. I was thinking last night, um, and I don't like to try to use my children as examples publicly. So I know someone who... um, um, has a a five-year-old boy that's going to start kindergarten next week. That can be a very scary thing, the first day of school. Even if you're not in kindergarten, the first day of school can be filled with anxiety. New classes, new teachers, new buildings, new books, new dirty looks, however that goes. It can be filled with anxiety. You know, I was so glad that... um, this summer, our VBS program, I was glad that we did the program that we did. We got the music CD, and we've been listening to it the second half of this summer. And there's a song on there. I'm not going to sing it, trust me. Um, there's a song that says, Be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is with you. And the kids have been singing it all summer. And so when the anxiety ramps up about the first day of school, we just say, look, what does the song say? Be strong and courageous because the Lord your God is with you. You know, if there's no resurrection, you're pretty much on your own. Hope you make it. Hope you do all right. Nothing to hope in, nothing to believe in. Just go on out there and try to dodge the bully or be the bully, either one. Because there's no hope.
And the same thing is true about our church experience, isn't it? I mean, when, when, once we really start thinking this thing through and we start boiling it down to its, its uh, you know, the lowest common denominators, I mean, is there really any point to what we're doing here in church? I mean, if there's no resurrection, if there was no Christ, who, if, if Christ is still dead in the tomb and we are still dead in our sins, what's this matter? Why do we sing the songs? Every single song that we sang today that had anything to do with forever or hope or power or God is and isn't it awesome, meaningless. Just stop singing. Janet, quit the choir. Choir people don't even come out. September when it starts, stay home. Okay? Because there's no point to it. The, 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 the prayers that we say, empty words. We're just throwing money away when the offering plate comes by. The communion that we share doesn't mean a thing. If there's no resurrection, none of that means anything. This tie that I wear on a Sunday morning, pointless. Absolutely pointless. Just take it off and just leave it. That feels good. (laughs) It doesn't mean anything. If there's no resurrection. Life is just hopeless. Life is reduced to dumb luck and random experiences. That's it. That's the essence of life. Hopeless. If the power of the resurrection of Christ is not real. And who wants to live like that? But what if it's true? What if it's true that the tomb is empty? What if it's true if this God who created the universe really does exist and really did breathe new life into this Christ and raise him from the dead? And he really was seen by 500 people. And he really did say, touch me so that you can see I raised in bodily form. What if it's true that this Jesus did walk and share a meal with people? What if that's true? If that's true, it changes everything. Except the tie. Changes everything. It means that I I can put my faith and my hope in this Christ. Because my sins really are forgiven. They really are washed away. The guilt, the stain of guilt, gone. When God looks at you, He sees you clean and righteous and holy. And now there is a relationship. It means that you don't carry the guilt of sin. You truly can be freed. Freed from whatever entraps you, tangles you up, trips you up in your life. You can be freed from all of that. Why? Because the power that raised Christ now works in you. If it's true, if it's true, I really can experience 2 Corinthians 5 new life. I really have new life. It's not my old life kind of spruced up with spritzers and olive oil and vinegar and saying, go on out there and see what happens. It's new life. 
Absolutely changed. Completely different. New perspective. New priorities. New mission in life. A new person. If it's true, there really is redemption. The mistakes that I've made can be redeemed. There is something to live for. If it's true, there really is hope. The power that raised God, that, that God used to raise Christ to new life is available to us, to work in us, to move in us, to, to fix our marriages, to heal our homes, to return our kids from wandering, to really heal our body, even if it's only temporary until we truly die, to heal our bodies, to see what God can do in us and use us uh, in this life for. The power is really there to restore families back together. There really is direction. There really is guidance. There really is provision from God. My life has meaning. My life really is purpose-driven. If I understand this, God really will be with you on the first day of school. the resurrection is true. If it's true, then my life really does matter for eternity. Each and every one of us, our life really does matter for eternity. And I think this is one of those things that we sometimes, we miss it, it slips through our fingers, we don't really grab onto this. The life we live right now, everything we do, everything we experience, our homes, our friends, our neighborhoods, our schools, our work, everything, it matters for eternity. There's purpose there for you to be where you are. How I live and what I do can have a tremendous impact on people. Because the resurrection of Christ is true, how you live your life really matters. It gives us a whole new global mindset. You know, humanitarian efforts are are fantastic. And our government, we need to keep sending aid to to places in the United States and around the world where, where devastation has occurred and we can support them. We need to keep doing that. But I want to ask you this. If there, in all of those humanitarian efforts, if nobody, if there's nobody there proclaiming the power of a risen God, do those humanitarian efforts mean anything the next morning, the next day, the next week, the next month? I mean, we help them for a moment. But if we help them for eternity, imagine what would happen if a person or a group of people went on a humanitarian effort and understood the power of the resurrection and the power to change a life. And they infused through their work that power and teaching to other people. Imagine what would happen globally if people understood We are not only feeding their body and building their home, but we're giving them new life eternally. That's why we send a team to Poland every year. That's why we do missions trips to the DR every year. 
That's why our missionaries give their life around this globe. Not for humanitarian efforts. As good as they are, listen, understand what I'm saying. As good as they are, at the end of the day, we've just met the need for the moment. We've not met their need for eternity until we've given them the power of God. And it's amazing to see reports from a team that went to Poland that just said, you know what, I just want to help teach people how to speak English. And it's amazing to see how God uses that, how in His power He opens doors that the team could not even imagine. They get met at the airport by a delegation from the government, the city government. They're escorted from the airport to their, to their lodging in the mayor's car. City government officials, not Christian government, city secular government officials. Doors are opened in the city. Places you and I, we could never go if we're just tourists, if we're just on a humanitarian effort. But these people, God opens the doors and they experience something that nobody else has, very few people experience. That's the power of God moving. Gives us a new global mindset. It also gives us an understanding that living in community with each other, our relationships, they really do matter. The friendships that we have really are important. The time we take to connect with each other in this room and throughout these ministries in this church really is important. When we get together for lunch or dinner, if we understand the power of God, then we share more than just a good meal. I'm open for dinner. We really do. If we share a meal together and we both understand the power of God, we can encourage and challenge and and build each other up and be there for each other and help each other. Why do you think we put so much energy and emphasis into communicating what's going on in our community life groups that happen here Sunday morning? They're kind of like our Sunday school program. Because we want people to get connected. We want people to do life together. Why do we put, why do we put so much emphasis and talk to people about, are you in a small group? Do you have a small group of people that you can get together with in their home once a week, twice a month, once a month to study God's Word, but to do life together? Because it matters. I love my small group. And every time we get together, we go deeper with each other. And we can encourage each other. And we can challenge each other. Why do we put so much emphasis in some of the classes that we run? Especially this one that's coming up this fall called the Truth Project. Man, if you want to learn how to defend what, or to know what you believe is true, you need to get in that. 13 weeks. 13 weeks in and out, and it's fantastic. Because you're also going to build relationships with each other. 51 people just came back from Lancaster. They went to see Sight and Sound and the, the performance that was down there. Heard this morning, they had a fantastic trip. Loving on each other all the way back. Singing songs, having a good time, get off the bus, hugs, kisses, they all go home. What, why, why? Because the, the show was good? No. Because they did life together. And they understood the power of God. It means that my service in the church and with the church and through the church, whether it's locally or or, or right here or beyond these walls, 
really is a gift back to God. And it really does my service using my gift, my talent, my passion, my ability, my experiences, giving it back to God and using it somewhere, either here or a parachurch organization. It really matters. When our guys do the oil change day for for the widows and the the single ladies here in the church, that matters. Trust me, it matters. When we stock the food pantry, it matters. Those of you who do anything in the kingdom with your gifts, it matters. And it matters for eternity. The resurrection of Christ is about the power of God. It's about the power of God. And this same power that raised Christ to life is available to give you new life as well. Spiritual life that leads to a secured eternity and a fulfilled life now. For some of you today, this, this, this may be the first time you've ever thought about tapping into God's power to change your life. And I want to encourage you that that you can experience that by simply acknowledging that you need help, that you are far from God and you need to be drawn back to Him. You can simply ask Him to forgive your sins and be the leader of your life. And He will do it. And He will infuse new power into your life. Maybe for some of you here today, You've understood the power of God. Once there was a time when you walked with God and everything was grand and everything was glorious and God was awesome and you knew His presence and you knew His power. But for some reason, somewhere you got off track or you got offline and and sometimes we'll even say, God left me. But we just don't feel that power anymore. We feel tired. We feel weak. We feel powerless. And we walk around life with an, with an extension cord in our hands saying, where can I find power? And we plug into different people and we plug into different places and we plug into different environments trying to find power that will sustain and fill us and encourage us and build us and move us only to realize that anything apart from God that we plug into leaves us hopeless and wanting. And so maybe today, It's time to come home and plug back into the power of God. Imagine going to work tomorrow, plugged into God's power, realizing that your life matters for eternity because the resurrection of Christ is true. How would your workplace be different? How would your attitude toward work be different? How would you live differently in your neighborhood? How would the first day of school be if you understood that? I hope and I pray that when you leave today, you'll leave plugged in to the power that raised Christ from the dead. Paul writes in Romans chapter chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved because it's in your heart that you believe and are justified. And I hope that as you leave today, you'll say with Paul, as he wrote to the Philippians, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection.
Let's pray. Father, as we close this time this morning, I pray that that you would give us the strength and the courage to plug back into you. Help us to, to understand that this whole idea of the resurrection of Christ really is important. It really does matter. And if I would just embrace that and seek your power for my life, well, I think we'd be amazed at what you would do. So God, I pray that you would give us a heart to embrace that. 